Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date, informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. Now, today I'm talking to a woman who needs no introduction in the bariatric realm, Amanda Clark, award-winning advanced practicing dietitian with over 20 years of experience working with bariatric patients. She's the author and creator of Portion Perfection for Bariatrics, a set of tools designed to keep portion sizes in check for maximizing the effectiveness of bariatric surgery and keeping your new stomach nice and small. Amanda consults from great ideas in nutrition, in the Tweed and in Lismore and also online. Stay tuned, you're not going to want to miss this one. So welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of Amanda Clark's company. Welcome Amanda, thanks for joining me. Thanks Jackie, it's my pleasure to be here. It's great to have you and your wisdom again. 20, more than 20 years of experience as a dietitian. Also created your own portion management dining wear for different groups, the weight loss group and also the bariatric group. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I really believe that um, the more things you can do to your environment to support the behavior you're trying to make, you're trying to follow, the better. So, you know, there's good evidence that the size of the containers that you use, the size of the plates, etc., all influence how much you serve onto that plate or into that bowl. And that once the food is in the plate or the bowl, chances are you're going to eat it. So if we can go a couple of steps before that and get the right amount in there, then you can feel more satisfied and life just gets easier. Mm. So that's the basis of portion perfection, really, helping people to know how much is right and follow through. It's a, it is a surprise how much is right when you look at how far our cutlery and our crockery have come in the last even 30 years. You look at the 1950s dinner plate and it was the size of our entree. So I think we feel Absolutely. compelled to load up. I know our dinner plates are massive and I'll often eat off an entree plate because I know exactly the same thing. If I put it on the plate, I'm definitely going to eat that. Um, yeah. I think it also our bowls, we've got beautiful, I've got some beautiful bowls <laughs> that are really large and kind of flat, but try putting a quarter of a cup of muesli in there and it's just a sprinkle across the mm, bottom. So it's a bit I sad think looking. <laughs> yeah. Automatically you wouldn't stop at that. So yeah. And that's exactly right. Like looking at what a portion is. And I think to visualize that on a regular basis, particularly after weight loss surgery is really important. Yeah. People have chosen the surgery for the purpose of having a smaller appetite. So do they still need to have a look at their portion management after the surgery or does their new tummy take care of all of that? Yeah. Well, bariatric surgery works in a number of ways. And one of them is that it gives you a smaller stomach, but it also results in production of much higher levels of satisfaction hormones, which also impacts how much you feel like eating. And that affects that is the case for about the first year. And having that higher level of uh, satisfaction hormone also spills across into your saliva and that makes some foods taste a little different. So, you know, some people might describe that uh, sweet foods don't taste as good anymore and that's quite handy, but that's why that happens. Weight loss that we see after bariatric surgery. But some of those effects wear off. So the higher levels of hormones and the effects on your taste, both of which make you less interested in food, wear off after about the first year or two. So 
then we're mainly falling back on your stomach size. And the thing is about stomachs is that they're stretchy. And it's quite possible that some people or some families just have stretchier stomach membranes than others, uh, which just makes it easier to eat a larger volume. As, as you go down the track, the more you eat, the more you can eat. So part of the message of satisfaction comes from the tension in your stomach wall. So you've got a nerve ending on your stomach called the vagus nerve, and that senses the stomach tension and sends a message to your brain to say that you're satisfied. So if you eat past the point of satisfaction or you drink within half an hour, so you've had a one cup meal plus you then add one cup of liquid, then you're going to stretch the capacity of your stomach beyond that one cup. And the more times you do this, the less resistance to the stretch you will feel. So the easier it is to overeat and the less sensitive is that nerve message that goes to your brain. Like any other neural pathway, if you keep using that, you will change that um, understanding of what the limits are. Is that what you mean? Yeah, it can start to to become less sensitive, to not be such an alert because you keep doing mm. it, you keep overriding it, so it'll stop sending you the message. Just like um, the you know a, a, an appetite message or a message to go to the toilet. If you ignore that, you stop getting the message. Fascinating little machines, aren't we? we it's are. incredible what we can. Firstly, what we can do, but also what we can you know intervene and mess up a little bit we talk about the first year or two being the honeymoon period you know weights dropping off appetite and tastes have changed and food's not as interesting as it used to be maybe for the first time in these people's lives is that the time to really make sure you're setting up those great habits and making sure you understand what's next and how to manage those stages when hunger and tastes might change and you, you are more hungry. Absolutely. You know, I really say that that first year is your opportunity to get the lifestyle right so that when that hunger comes back, you've got things covered. And, you know, I, I think just thinking about the stomach and I, I know by definition we're a podcast and therefore people can't see us, but if people can imagine a balloon, a, a new balloon fresh out of the packet. And you know, when you first blow up a balloon, you kind of blow a little bit of air in there and it just puffs up a little bit. And then you have to blow harder to blow it up further. There's resistance to going further, but you can do it. And the more times you do it, the easier it is to blow it up. And that's a bit like your stomach. If you imagine that first little puff is that one cup and you force it past there for whatever reason, something tasted great. There wasn't going to be food for a long time after, whatever the reason is you start to do that extra inflation. And once you do that, you know, if you imagine a balloon that's been blown up multiple times, once it comes back down, it's all a bit puckered and it never comes back to the same level of elasticity that was there in the first place. So fresh after surgery, uh, people are probably on half a cup. By about six months, we're up to about a cup. And then we want to stop there and we want to stay there and never eat more than one cup of food ever again, unless or until you've gone too far you've lost too much weight and we're trying to find ways to help you regain weight. Most people don't actually reach that point. So you want to maintain the value of this um, this new tool that you've got. I guess tools are the surgery, but also the external tools like your portion plate and bowl to visualize on a really regular basis, just the, what, what a meal looks like and how much a cup of food is. Just a reminder, I think we can get busy or stressed or, you know, life gets in the way. And I think having those um, ready in the kitchen is a really good way of, of, sometimes we need a reset, but also to maintain that habit of how big a meal could be. I think it's a great tool. So is it possible looking at the size of the portion 
options. You're saying half a cup initially, one cup, you know, as time goes on. How do we go getting the nutrients we need from these one cup meals? You can't get everything that you need. And so that's where BN Multi comes in. That's where you must be taking bariatric multivitamins. So, you know, I'd generally be recommending three one cup meals a day. So that's breakfast, lunch, dinner, but I'd also recommend three snacks. And so you've got three cups in your meals. The snacks might be, I generally base snacks on 100 calories rather Mm. than volume. So it could be anywhere from the size of six macadamia nut right up to an apple. So an apple's probably about a cup full, six macadamia nut, only two tablespoons worth, but both the same calories. But if you take the basic nutritional recommendations for adults generally, and you look at what volume that adds up to, it actually adds up to eight cups or more per day to get the minimum amounts of everything you need. So we're not going to manage that after bariatric surgery and that's kind of one of the downsides because it does mean that you're not going to get enough vegetables either Mm. but um Anyway, that's why you need to make really good food choices most of the time so that you can get sufficient protein, essential fatty acids, phytonutrients, so those um, those plant-based chemicals, which aren't technically vitamins, but they enhance our health. So they protect us from heart disease and cancer. But that's why you need the vitamins as well. And you know, often I find people down the track from surgery who have stopped taking their vitamins or they've stopped taking the bariatric vitamins. But I really tell people that I I think it's really important to stick with a bariatric vitamin company because the other companies like Centrum or whoever, they don't care about bariatric needs. So there's a lot of research being done around nutrition and bariatric companies are going to be listening to that research and looking at the guidelines Mm. and making sure that the supplements comply with that. Whereas Centrum's not doing that. So, you know, if you're not going to pay full attention to what you're doing and make a concoction of a whole lot of different things, then just make it easy on yourself and and be taking that bariatric vitamin. And I guess too, that's the formulation that will make up for the shortfall in your intake, but also links to the malabsorption that's left behind by the surgeries as well. So smaller portion sizes and almost half of what a normal person would be eating, but also in some different surgeries, there's links to malabsorption in different nutrients as well. Um, Yeah. So making those up. And I think, you know, a lot of people don't think of a sleeve as being a malabsorptive surgery because it's really technically a restrictive surgery. But I think when you take into account the decrease in stomach acid and the importance of stomach acid for the solubilization of a variety of nutrients, um, it is actually a malabsorptive surgery as well. So there are, as you know, there are certain things that you need more of. There are certain things that you need a different um, form of Mm. to get that best absorption. And, um, you know, general supplements aren't thinking about that. No, very broad brush. I think when you think of something that's got everything from A to zinc, you know, it's going to be a tiny little bit of everything, just a smattering. I talk a little bit about the factory floor and maybe sweeping everything up and putting it in a tablet. (laughs) But I'm a bit biased, you know, I'm pretty committed to getting it right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and we appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) Well, it makes, you know, it's it's easier for everybody if you've got a correct formulation that you can trust as a practitioner and that your patients can rely on and we see the results in the blood tests. I think it's um, it speaks for itself really, which is, you know, it's a wonderful product and it's working and yeah, we're really proud of it. So thank you for supporting it and um, giving the backstory on why it's so important to make sure it's specific in the supplementation as well. Yeah. Moving on to to regain, 
we get a lot of questions about regain down the track after weight loss surgery. Do you find how prevalent is regain in your practice? Is it something that you're working with on a regular basis? Yeah, so certainly I I see a lot of people down the track. So I might see them for the first time down the track. Um, I've got a lot of people who I see from a distance and maybe they've reached that three or four year or seven year mark. They've regained some of their weight. They're feeling bad about that. So, you know, the evidence says that you can expect to regain about 20% of the weight that you lost straight after the surgery and that that usually happens within about the three to five year period after surgery. So to a certain extent, we need to consider that it's normal, that there's a normal pattern that you'll reach a certain level in year one, and then in year five, it'll be something different. So I think it's really important not to feel like you're a failure or not to feel that this is all out of control, but there are some things that, that you, you need to look for. You know, part of the reason for the weight regain is that bodies like to work their way around changes that have been made to them. So that higher level of satisfaction hormone goes away, the um, the changes to your taste wear off. So then that's when people start to notice some old favorites coming back because they can now taste them. They're getting kind of desires for some other food. But that's part of that reason for developing the really good routine in year one. Mm. You want to be in a routine and you don't want to keep testing it out by going back to old ways. You just want to trust in the new way. So if, you know, the idea is in that first year you get ready so it can get you through this real danger period. Correct. But I do see two main issues from an eating perspective. So one is that people have stretched their stomach capacity. So they're eating greater than one cup of food by then, or they've started grazing. So with increased portion size, and I've actually seen people able to comfortably eat five cups of food in one sitting down the track after surgery. Yeah. And, you know, part of that just might come down to either really poor messaging from that nerve to the brain. So they're not getting that feeling of, oh, I feel uncomfortable. I need to stop now. Even though their stomach is uncomfortable, they're not recognizing it or they just have a stretchy stomach and they're not getting that stomach tension. You know, there are reasons why people have reached a high weight in the first place. And I don't think we know everything about them. And the surgery doesn't necessarily resolve every problem. So some of those problems still exist. Once they are able to take in such a large, well, we talk about large portion size, but larger than the one cup, is that something they can come back from with retraining their you know, going back to the plate and the bowl and being very vigilant? Or do then they feel more hungry because there's more room available than Mm. there was before? What do you think about that? Yeah, maybe. It depends really what's going on. But the same as... um, like before people had surgery, if you reduce your food intake, you're hungry. But if you keep doing it, by about day seven or day 10, you're feeling fine on a smaller quantity of food. So there is some adaptation that can help you come back down. I certainly have had a client who he lost something like 40 kilos and in his first year. And then I saw him again just after the end of year two, I think it was. And he'd just been on an 87 day cruise. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he said it was all silver service and oh. he knew exactly what he was doing, but he wasn't prepared to let it go. And he regained 
40 kilos. In the 87 days. Yes. Wow. A lot. Everything. Committed. And in fact, because I get to do body composition analysis on him, mm. in fact, although he was the same weight that he started out, he had not regained all the muscle that he'd lost. Mm. So he was more fat than he was. He had more body fat than he did the first time around at that weight. Incredible. But the, I guess the moral of the story is we did get him straight back to his old routine and he actually lost weight quite rapidly and last time I saw him he was well on the way to being back to where he was so I don't know that's no an amazing cruising. story <laughs> yeah we've got to keep him off I the water I think those cruises are a trap aren't they because you feel and I guess too it happens in restaurants after surgery and when we're buying food is you feel like you've paid for it and so if you exactly. only get to eat a small portion of what you've paid for some mindset can kick in and a lot of us grew up in a time where we were on tight budgets and you know what I mean? We were brought up in a time where we didn't waste anything. And I think there's something to be said for the way even my parents, we weren't allowed to leave the table until we'd eaten what was on our plate, but we yeah. didn't put it on our plate. Someone yes. else dished it up for us <laughs> and you're not leaving point. one of five children. You're not leaving the table until you've eaten everything there. And we were bursting. And so even from that perspective, that's a habit that gets set up by your environment, really, by someone who's loving you with food, firstly, but also by someone who has five children to feed and doesn't want to waste anything. So eat your dinner or you're not going anywhere. So my understanding also for a time was that at the end of a meal, I needed to be feeling that pain and that stretching almost ah. because it felt normal. Do you know what I mean? So I do wonder how much of that comes into it is, you know, a lot of our, you know, family of origin, there's so many different things that impact the way that we eat and our understanding of food. And then, yeah, to change that and turn it upside down, it's significant. Um, yeah. You do need to be willing to let go. And what I try to help people to focus on instead is that the eating is pay more attention to the effort that was put in to it or yeah. the ambience, the, com the company, um, the whole environment, you know, the environment of a restaurant, you're not just paying for that food. In fact, the food component of the cost of the meal is mm. quite a small component. So recognize that you're still getting everything else. And, you know, you can either tell them, put half of that in a container from the very beginning. So you're not yeah. even faced with it being on your plate, but um, it's a bonus, it, isn't it? Have a beautiful yeah. meal tomorrow as well. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So, you know, sometimes I shift people to the standard portion perfection, which might be 1300 calories and has three cups of food. Right. But 1300 calories should result in weight loss for most people, mm. but it is that larger volume. So if we're stuck with that, we can still do it, but it means we're kind of upping the vegetable intake, which is a good thing. That's so apart from that, then we've got the grazers. Mm. So grazing is where people are still only able to eat a small quantity at a time. Um, so they might still have good restriction in their stomach, but they're eating perhaps more than six times in a day uh, or in some cases, they might only feel like they're eating about six times a day. But in fact, when I question them, they're having a standard size meal and they're just eating it over an hour and a half. So we need to put a limit on the time that a meal takes. And I would say 20 minutes to 30 minutes maximum, what you haven't eaten, then it is the end of the meal. That's a really good guide. I do hear that, that, um, you know, I'm eating more slowly, but when do I stop? And that's a 
yeah, really good recommendation. And is it true that it's about 20 minutes when food goes into your tummy or anybody's tummy? Isn't it about 20 minutes before the brain actually goes, ah, food is coming in and starts to um, set up that physiological response to food being in the tummy? I always say in my, you know, um, to my patients and that sort of thing, if you're feeling like you want seconds, just wait. 20 minutes, go and do something else, maybe go and have a shower, perhaps you'd clean your teeth or do something. And by that stage, you've probably forgotten about that second helping because those whole physiological responses to the food being there are actually registering, which speaks to the slow eating and chewing really well. And I think recognising that digestion starts in the mouth. So the act of chewing is actually the beginning of that. Oh, okay, here comes food, which also helps with absorption. And we need as much of that as we can. So all those gastric juices that get released when we chew food properly and salivary amylase and that sort of thing. So that's, yeah, it's a really great guideline for people who aren't sure how much they're eating and for how long, but also to understand that that 20 minute period is, you know, you're not going to feel busting full because you haven't registered that food yet. That's right. You know, the, if we think about that tension in the stomach wall, that doesn't start to happen towards until towards the end of the meal. Mm. Um, before that, there is isn't enough food in there. There are a few other things that start to trigger some hormonal release, but everything takes time and it takes time to get to the brain. So yeah, I I think what you've described is what I'd call a distraction technique where you tell yourself you can have seconds if you need them, but you're going to go and do this first and then decide whether you still want it. That way there's no feeling of deprivation. You're not saying you're not allowed to have more, Mm. that's it. Tell yourself, if I still want it, after I go and do these things and maybe agree to do a few things off off a list of nice things that you've got to do that might get you involved enough so that you've completely forgotten about the food and most mm. people do forget. Yeah, I find it a great technique. As far as grazing goes, what do you implement to break that kind of continual um, intake like you're saying, that adds up at the end of the day to be way too much food. Yeah, well, a big part of that is um, making sure you're setting up your environment. So actually using something like um, like the snack containers or you know planning out what your snacks are going to be so that there is a, a definite end to it. So not eating nuts from a pack and thinking that your stomach's going to tell you when you've had 100 calories worth because it won't. Mm. But you know, planning what you're going to do, planning what you're going to do afterwards so that you do get out of the kitchen. You're not sitting there going, hmm, now what will I have? But, you know, if you can tell your brain, if you can plan things in advance and know that, you know, that orange there I've got set aside for my afternoon tea, your body will come back to help you. And when it comes to afternoon tea time, that orange will come to mind Mm. most of the time. But if you've put no thought into it, you might find yourself thinking about biscuits or, you know, looking for something else that might be in the pantry. So yeah, there's no good. real limit then, is there, of that you just open the cupboard and whatever jumps out first is what's yeah. eaten. Yeah, exactly. I know. Yeah. And this year of, you know, the birth of working from home and having routine thrown out the window, those sorts of things are the very things that we need to keep in place as far as structuring goes. I've even just said, pack your lunch like you're going. Exactly. <laughs> just pretend. I've, I've suggested that as well. And people have found that really useful. Yeah, because, I think that's um, the key. Yeah, because 
most people say if they pack their lunch when they're going to work, then they're fine. It's, mm. it's all they've got. It's, it's what doable. they're stuck with. And there's no problem with that. But when you're back and forth to the kitchen, then, um, you know, it's good to have made some decisions earlier in the day, perhaps when you're in a clearer frame of mind and there you've just had breakfast, so food's not on your mind. Mm. Then actually set out on the bench top what your morning tea is and set some little alarms because you haven't got the... Um, the structure of everybody else heading to the tea room or, you know, yeah, that the timing. I find yeah. I've been working at home for quite a while, but I find three o'clock, I'm like, it's time. It's really, I have fallen into that routine. So with the practice and that's what it is, but it needs that prompt to begin with as well when it's new. And yeah, those external structures of, oh, everybody's getting up and going. It must be time. It's uh, certainly been an upside down year for what's been going on in the kitchen. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> So, you know, we need to set some of our own structure. And, you know, often I find mums who make sure that their children have their lunches packed for school, but they don't pack anything for themselves. And, you know, I think just being that organised so that as you pack theirs, you pack yours. Yeah. Is I had a hungry teen at home, it's homeschooling, and I would pack lunch and he would take it downstairs and that was, he wasn't allowed in the kitchen until after school. Yeah. <laughs> it's costing us a fortune. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we talk of regain. I know there's, you know, a few years out, people do think more surgery might be the solution to their regain. What are your thoughts on going from a sleeve to a bypass or having some other medical intervention for a weight gain um, situation? Yeah. Um, well, it certainly is something that's quite common. And, you know, we see people having two and three surgeries. Actually, I think um, I heard a really interesting speaker at the last bariatric conference, perhaps you heard her as well, who really said that before we leap into another surgery, we should think about why the first surgery didn't, didn't work or wasn't the final surgery. You know, if there's been a problem like, um, like reflux develop, after a sleeve there's not much you and I can do about that but if it's sought if it's a second surgery or a third surgery sought for weight control then we need to identify what actually is the problem and is the next surgery going to address that problem because you don't want to just keep operating on people if the problem is somewhere else mm. yeah so sometimes medication might medication in association with the first surgery or psychological therapy in association with the first um, surgery might be the best way to go. We want to see, can we make that first surgery effective? Because Last, if yeah. it's just that you've dropped out of doing these things, you've stretched your stomach pouch or you've started grazing, fix the grazing. Don't mm. have another surgery. Don't step into um, some malabsorption. Yeah. And I guess grazing is not going to change with more surgery. It's more looking at what the habits are and, you know, what are the triggers and how we manage stress and those kind of um, mindset issues that we've covered a lot of that in previous podcasts with, you know, Amber Kay and a few other players in the field who look at, you know, what are these roadblocks and how do I remove them to understanding this new way of living life? And, and sometimes it's, um, can be sabotage. Like you get to the point where you feel wonderful and healthy and everything's kind of working out well. And then we tend to have that 
oh, well, here we go. And we'll just start eating a little bit more or changing what we do. And it is a form of relaxation, but we have to define whether it's a relaxation around, aren't I feeling great? And the surgery has been a great success for me. And are these my saboteurs coming up? Because I don't know how to manage now that I'm a success because I've never done that before. So, um, yeah, Yeah, I think exploring all those different avenues before leaping into the next, because generally the second surgery is the one that comes with more health implications and risks a lot of the time with malabsorption of different nutrients and that sort of stuff. So it's also, are we getting into the point where there's more to manage due to another surgery when it could be that we just need to address, you know, what we're doing on a day-to-day basis and get exactly. our portion plate and bowl back out yeah exactly <laughs> that's the first thing to yeah. do I, I, we do that a lot is do you have a bowl do you have a plate and they're like oh yeah i do and i've put them away i'm like well that'll yeah. be the answer is just making sure that you're understanding and visualizing um what a cup full of food is and absolutely um, you know i i think some people expect that if they lost um 40 kilograms reasonably rapidly with their first surgery and then they've regained 30 of them or something like that, that they're going to have another rapid weight loss after the second surgery. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen. Somehow our bodies figured it out by then <laughs> and it's it's already ahead of the game. Mm. So we really want to understand, you know, what is the problem and let's address that. Let's, you've if you've already had a sleeve and so you've got the benefit of that, let's do everything we can to make that effective. So yeah, pulling the tools back out, Mm. getting some structure, getting some accountability happening again um, is all really valuable. Yeah, and readjusting, I think, is the key there. And also looking at the implications of financial time off for operations and that sort of thing. So working out whether we can make those changes. And yeah, I think, how often do you see that that is the key is just habits when we're looking at regain? Is it is it 50-50 there's something metabolic limiting the further weight loss or is it more so the habit? There's definitely something metabolic happening for virtually everyone, mm. um, which is what leads to that little bit of weight regain gain anyway that is quite normal so for some people it's actually looking at um whether or not the amount they've regained is actually quite normal. So some people, it, it isn't anything they've done and there probably isn't anything that's going to make it better. So we need to tidy up everything we can, pull out whatever strategies we've got, but not stress too much about it and recognize that we're 35 kilos lighter than we had been. Mm. And maybe maybe this is me. Um, but finding out that you're not a failure and that you you have still succeeded, you have um, achieved exactly what the surgery was meant to achieve is very comforting for a lot of people just to recognise they haven't let it slip. That's a great um, point. And I think there's panic, isn't there, when weight starts to come on, there's always that, oh, I don't want to go back there because there's pain there that we've obviously worked really hard to get away from. And I hear it quite a lot is, oh, I'm regaining and I'm panicking because I can just, I'm just so worried that it's going to get out of hand do you have any strategies for that kind of the feeling of the emotional roller coaster of that fear that we might go back that way what do you suggest in those kind of scenarios well i guess what we need to do is is look at all avenues and be calm about it because the more stressed you are about it the worse the outcome you know and i recognize and understand that that fear is that this is out of my control i'm feeling like 
it's out of my control. So we need to see, okay, well, where can we have control? Mm. What has slipped out of our own control that we can pull back in? Um, so that might be some relaxation. It might be exercise. It might just have been feeling bulletproof for a while, feeling like, well, I'm a changed person. Nothing's going to affect me now. And then letting alcohol slip back in, in a bigger way or you know, something, whether it's um, food-related, alcohol-related, exercise-related, um, just mind-related. We just need to say, okay, what is within our control? And let's calm it down and take control where we can. Mm, that's a good point. And I think um, we all do that. You know, it's like life is not a flat line, is it? We go really well and then we relax and then we go really well. And it's not, it's not just the surgery situation that this happens. It's general life for everybody. And it's day to day. I remember I had a patient who rang one day and she said, I'm just so sick of managing this food. I'm so sick of thinking about, you know, I've got to have my protein. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. And I said, yeah, but I haven't had the surgery. And generally this is what you need to do to remain healthy. It's just that it hasn't been top of mind for you. You haven't been taught this. It hasn't been your habitual way of living. And now it is. Um, but that's, or people will say it's all right for you. You're fit and healthy and slim. But a lot of the reasons that prevails is because every day we look at what we've been eating and how we manage ourselves. So I understand that it's very different and it is tricky sometimes and it's a lot of learning. But it's, it is, I put it forward to her that it's not a um, foreign concept to all humans <laughs> and she was like oh that's so much better because she thought she was the only one who had to do all this calculation and you know think about what she was eating now I said no people just do that all the time she's like oh that's really good and she just walked away from that phone call feeling so much less alone and labored and burdened by right. this whole idea of <laughs> now she counting was part food. of everybody else <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I said like no that. it's not new so yeah it is it's such a steep learning curve after this and I think operation. what people need to get to is the point of autopilot mm -hmm. where they don't have to think about things. Um, psychiatrist uh, Dr. George Blair West used to talk about um, the horizontal bungee, which really said that the more effort you put into something, the harder it is, the harder the bounce back. You know, the, as soon as you let go and you stop trying really hard, then everything starts to slip. Mm. So we need to do things slowly. We need to get kind of one juggling ball in the air and then another juggling ball in the air and, and find things that, that sit comfortably with us mm. so that we can do them automatically. And, um, you know, just planning your menu once a week mm. enables you to go on a bit of autopilot for the rest of the week in terms of those food decisions. I, I've seen somewhere uh, some enormous number put to the number of food decisions we make in a day and that that just gives us um, decision fatigue and makes it hard to do anything else. So if we've got stress going on in our life or we've got a hard job and we've made a whole lot of decisions and dealt with a whole lot of things through the day, it's really hard to make a good decision about what to eat for dinner or what to eat after dinner. So get it on autopilot, make mm. the decision on Saturday morning, maybe when you've got a bit more headspace, do the shopping and 
all those decisions are made. Yeah, for the week. And that's, you know, you're bulking on your decision-making then, aren't you? It's like budgeting it out and then you've got the week to just pick it up and take it with you. It's um, It sounds like a chore, but it's there's something quite therapeutic about thinking about what you're going to eat, going and getting it and, you know, organising that as well. And there's some great options available as far as storage goes. Um, we do know that after weight loss surgery, little, you know, containers and the insulated bags become our best friend because if you are looking at long-term success, you're taking food with you a lot of places you go. Um, and there are also great opportunities for, you know, the, the BN, the stackers, the snackers that you have, the yeah. tower, just all different types of ways to support yourself and get organised. And it's also very, um, it feels very, you know, positive to walk into the week with that understanding of what's ahead. They're great for freezing foods and then just pick it up and go as you um, go throughout the week. Absolutely. That Barry Prepper has been amazing for people where they're just putting leftovers in there, putting it in the freezer or putting it in the fridge and grabbing it and taking it for work or even when they're working from home, knowing that it's already set up there ready for them. Yeah. Brilliant. That, and practice-wise as a dietitian yourself, how do people find you? I'm online at greatideas.net.au. So we do um, telehealth or in-person consultations. Uh, our clinic is at Tweed Heads and at Gunella Bar near Lismore. Um, and, yeah, we specialise in weight management, including bariatric surgery and also in gut problems, which um, is also quite common before and after bariatric surgery. So often we can get those things sorted out as well. I see on your site, you have a range of books around different food intolerances and, um, you know, ways of eating that support people who have um, special dietary requirements as well. Is that an area you specialize in for food intolerance and uh, allergic reactions and that sort of thing? My focus is more around the gut um, food intolerances. Uh, I've certainly dealt with a lot of other forms of food intolerance that um, cause migraines or skin conditions, etc. over the years. But really, my I've honed my skills around uh, irritable bowel syndrome mm. because it's been really common. I think it's probably caused by the food supply and um, ties in well with everything else I'm doing because I think it's associated with um, with weight management as well. Correct. And what are the links there? What you mentioning the in the irritable bowel and weight gain? Yeah, well, I think that um, particularly around gut bacteria. Hmm. So we do some of the microbiome testing and interpretation and um, there's definitely a, a real pattern um, for people who have significant weight problems. Um, I think there's more research to be done to determine how we fix it hmm. Um but, you know, there's some level of research there as a, as a good starting point and that's where everything starts. It's all in the gut, isn't yeah. it? I think everything it starts in the gut. So thank you for your time today and um, it's always wonderful to talk about, you know, where you're at and the, you've been such a part of our community for so many years and done a wonderful job of spreading the word about portion management. Uh, we'll include all your contact information for those who would like to reach out to you in the show notes. Uh, on the website. So Amanda Clark, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Jackie. It's been my pleasure. Oh, I'm glad to have you here. Thank you. See you soon. 
Thanks for listening. And just before you go, we would love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating and review. For other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration, come and drop into our Facebook community at BN Bariatric. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we hope you will share on your Facebook or Instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.